I don't know if we're able to do this, but if we could fade me in. No, we can't fade me in. Jay, I want to talk about oh, That's a great summer. idea. We will do that. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. <laughs> Maybe you can fade, you could fade yeah, in Spartacus. I'll fade in Spartacus. Yeah, that'll that'll be great. Um, I want to talk a little bit while we get into this one uh, about the summer and fall of 1964 okay. for the Beatles. There's a website. It was incredible. I was able to find their touring schedule, their entire touring schedule the Beatles ever had. And it was at the peak at this point in their career. And I also want to talk about what they were, you know, how they got through it. Uh, John and Paul were self-prescribed, uh, let's see, how did they put it? Uh, Jack, oh, hard scotch and coke men. Oh, so that was wow. their drink of choice. They drank scotch and Coke. So it was your, when you're hearing she loves you and I want to hold your hand, they're taking like uppers, taking speed, and they're drinking scotch and Coke. So all those early songs have that kind of frenetic energy to them, if you will. So they would drink these scotch and Cokes, take their speed, record all these songs, write all these songs, but something important happens to them while they're touring. Okay, so in January... They start recording songs for A Hard Day's Night. Okay. Right? They, start, they start Can't Buy Me Love, one of the first songs they recorded for that album. In February 1964, I think we all know what they did. They made their debut appearance here in America on The Ed Sullivan Show, one of the most popular television programs of all time. Yes. Uh, Let's see. Uh, in March, they filmed the movie A Hard Day's Night. So they go directly from, they played a show in Washington, D.C. They did The Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, did a couple dates, did the Ed Sullivan show again, went back home, start filming A Hard Day's Night. In June, they embark on a huge world tour that takes them to Denmark, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand. They lose Ringo for part of that tour. Uh, he gets sick, and they have uh, our favorite Beatle fill in for him, Jimmy Nickel. Jimmy Nickel. Not a great Beatle. <laughs> Probably my least favorite Beatle, Jimmy Nickel. <laughs> Check this out, Jay. In August, after this tour, where they, they're touring the world, August 11th, they start recording Beatles for Sale. August 19th, they start their U.S. tour. Okay, now this was insane, their tour. They, they, like every day for a month, they were on tour across the U.S. Uh, but something interesting happens to them. After a show in New York, they meet one of their heroes, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Right? So George is a huge Bob Dylan fan. He comes to their hotel room where they're probably drinking their scotch and uh, <laughs> scotch and Cokes. Dylan's not a scotch and Coke guy. He, of course, a pot guy. Introduces the Beatles to pot for the first time on this tour. This is when it happens. Okay. This I, is when it happens. I didn't, I didn't, I, 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 and I wrote in my notes, no longer scotch and Coke and speed, but, well, weed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, what that does for them, it changes the way they're writing songs. I mean, I think instantaneously you start to hear different songs from the Beatles. They start writing songs like No Reply, I'm a Loser, songs that appear. They're more introspective. They're more personal. They're a little deeper, which influences Beatles for sale. But back to their tour schedule, Jay, on the 20th of September, that U.S. tour ends. So it starts the 19th, runs a month. They perform like 28 days Damn. out of those 30 days. Insane. Insane, like they were going to take a day off. This guy from Kansas City offers Brian Epstein $150,000 for them to play like a private event in Kansas City, and they do. No days off. Crazy. So wow. October, 
six, they start recording the song that we are going to talk about today. But also in October, they start a British tour that was just as insane in that November and December of of, of 64. It's insane. They're yeah. recording this album, Beatles for Sale, in this frenetic scheduling. And that's where they write uh, and start recording the song eight days a week. Give me your initial thoughts on this one, Jay. Wow. That's, uh, that's some great context because I didn't realize, you know, I I understood how busy that they were, but yeah, to actually think about it in terms of playing a show every day for a month in America, when you live in England, that's, that's, that's a little mind boggling to me as the musician at the level I'm at, it's like, oh my God. I mean, like a week out is, is, is yeah. wearying. You're talking, <laughs> you know? right. And, and, and really this started, when we talked about Beatlemania, I mean, this started before that, really kind of started in that 61, 62 area where they started the touring, but this is when it really reaches its peak. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still cranking. So, I mean, that context puts the cover of Beatles for Sale, yeah. like, it, it totally makes sense. Right? I mean, you How see them and they, they just are. look tired. And They've gotten is, the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> yeah. We've been there. I mean, not at that. I mean, we, we don't necessarily do airplanes like they were doing, but we've had frenetic tour scheduling like that. It was like 13 straight years of it. But we weren't recording albums in the middle and doing, you know, in this one year, they, they changed the world by appearing on the Ed Sullivan show. They changed the world. I mean, the next day, thousands of people start bands. It's like culturally, <laughs> yeah. it's one of the most important cultural moments in modern history. They do two albums, a movie. <laughs> I just can't believe what they were doing. But yeah, I, I thought... Before we talk about this song, and I do want to talk about Beatles for Sale as a record um, as well, but man, it's insane what these guys were doing. Totally. So let's start with the the writing of it. Pretty simple song. Ooh, I need your love, babe. Yes, you know it's true. Classic Beatles stuff, but they get the idea. John moves out into the suburbs of London, and uh, Paul's taking a a limousine out there. And the, he's like, ask the driver, Hey, how you doing? He's like, yeah, I've been working really hard. I've been working eight days a week. Paul's like, at that time, they're just kind of writing down song titles. And it talks about how that was their thing. Like if somebody had a song title, they could just take it and run. So yeah. that's, <laughs> and so they get to John's house and, and he's like, Hey, this guy just said eight days a week. John goes, Ooh, I need your love, babe. And, and they're off. Yeah. Not, not great lyrics, but fun. Certainly yeah, fun. yeah, not great lyrics, but um, I think it was said that they probably written at the piano, just based Correct. on on the, the the progressions of it. So yeah, um, pretty cool, pretty cool. John's yeah. not a fan of this one either. Not a ch- <laughs> no, not a fan of most of his songs. Definitely not a fan of this one. <clears throat> and and evidently the Beatles probably weren't either because. They'd never played it live. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I when I'm hearing that. it, I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, Paul is what a great pop song writer. You when you hear this song, you see people dancing. Maybe that's our personal experience because we play this one a ton. But yeah. I, when you hear that walking bass line and the clapping, it just seems like a live song, like a song that's like, damn, this is gonna be great live. Yeah. And they never they never play it live. I know. Yeah. I I didn't realize that. I was looking at uh, I'm trying to get the photo of it. 
I was looking. At, yeah, I didn't realize that they never played it live. They mimed to it on Thank Your Lucky Stars. It was like yeah. their final appearance on the, Thank Your Lucky <laughs> Stars. But The only, yeah, and that's yeah. the only time you ever really get it. They didn't do it on live at the BBC, which they were doing extensively at that time. Yeah. Crazy. It's, it is crazy. Yeah, I had no um, idea. One of, one, of the, one of the reviews that I read talked about how this song had brilliant simplicity, and I think that's really where the genius of this song lies. It's a very simple song, but they do really cool things with it. Totally. Uh, which, t- which takes us into the recording, which because of the anthology, we have a great... This is the first song the Beatles bring into the studio that's not finished. Right. At that yeah. point, they were bringing, you know, they were bringing in these fully realized songs and they kind of bring this idea in. And it's cool because you can hear them messing with it. So if you don't have never listened to the anthology, I know we have some younger listeners out there, you gotta listen to the anthology. That's really what I was a huge Beatles fan until that point, obviously. But <clears throat> when that anthology came out, like to hear them working on things and hear them be human. Yeah. It's crazy. And this one stuck out to me. Like, I might not have been a huge fan of Eight Days a Week before that, but hearing that, ooh. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have the descending lines and they bring it back. It's just really cool to hear them uh, working on it. Totally. Um, so let's talk about what they were playing, because this is classic Beatles gear in this one. Right. John on the J160. J160 for sure, yeah. Paul on the Hoffner, obviously. Of yeah. George on that Ricky 12, baby. In the, only in the Talk intro and the me. outro. Yeah. Oh, and and, and so, those were tagged on at the end of the recording, right? Right. Like they can't, because they didn't, they were struggling. I mean, John says it. We struggled to record it and we struggled to make it into a song. It was Paul's initial effort, but I think we both... Worked on it, but it was lousy anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so so they had you know, and and we hear we hear the initial uh, you know what they get to that first day on the anthology, which yeah, like you said, it's so cool that we get to sort of pull back the curtain and see how they worked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they supposedly Norman Smith um, had the idea of the fade in. Uh, but mm. it's a, but it's an overdub, uh, and George switches guitars to his beloved at that point twelve Rickenbacker twelve string, and uh, they do the, it's the same chords as, yeah. uh, but they do a triplet thing and and uh, with the the pedal point, and it's super cool. Paul's bass in that intro, just oh, quick. just throughout. I mean that cool walking thing throughout. Oh it's, yeah, I mean it's Paul's great in this. I mean, I understand why they might not have liked it at the time, but I do think this song is aged pretty damn well. It's a cool one. So, George, what does he play during the the verses? Is he playing it, the Gretsch? It's one of the point? Gretsches. I can't tell if it's the Tenny or the or the Country Gentleman, but yeah, because he was kind of using both and at, at that point, mostly the Tennessean. But there's a few Country Gentleman songs on Beatles for Sale. So yeah, that's what he uses yeah. throughout the body of the song. Yeah. Mm. So effective the way, I mean, he lays the brilliant simplicity kind of comes back again through George in that song and really all through this record, which again, I do want to take a deep dive on Beatles for Sale, but he's, he's real tasty in it, George. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hear, like we've talked before Chet. about his sort of Chet Atkins influence yeah. and, and, you know, Carl Perkins and yeah, he's playing these cool little kind of chop, uh, I mean, Steve, it's almost... Steve Cropper really is what it reminds me of. It's very like he's doing these, you know, two and three note chords that with 
a seven sometimes, and and yeah, yeah it's 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 super cool. Um, Ringo, check this out, Jay, playing the Ludwig Oyster Black Pearl Super Classic Drum Kit. Oh, like thank, I'm glad you knew. I'm glad you, you knew that because I. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> He uh, <laughs> he had the drum kit that he played. <laughs> played anyway. Drummers know what I'm talking. About. I found a site that has some stuff. I'm, I'm not gonna go. De- I'm not gonna act like I know what I'm talking about on that one. It's cool though. It's a cool looking kit. <laughs> it, it man, if I was cool, gonna buy man. a drum kit, that'd be the one I'd want. That, that is the dream kit, right? Like this is. The <laughs> The recording of it from George Martin, it's pretty, it's pretty standard. It doesn't seem like, other than the fade in, which is the first time that's ever used on a pop song, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, that's- so somebody referenced in my reading Chuck Berry's Downbound Train. Oh. <laughs> which I, me, I just listened to. to, and it's like, it is true. There is a fade in, but it's it's... Like that, it's Quite a reach subtle. as far as like, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying this is the first significant fade in because, <laughs> yeah, it just, it, I mean, Chuck Berry's song sort of sounds like, oh crap, we're, we're mixing oh, shit, this. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like it sounds like a mistake, whereas the Beatles definitely does not. It sounds This is just the first cool. fade in of consequence, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I mean, that really, this, Starts the second side of Beatles for Sale, and when you think of it in that in that oh, sense, okay. that it kind of wow. comes I, out of the get. Yeah, oh, that's so, so cool. effective. I've never thought about that either. Uh, overdubs on this, other than they tag on the the intro. And what talk to me through that because their vocals are yeah the claps are All overdubbed. The claps are overdubbed. So, so yeah, I looked at um, uh, recording the Beatles, and they and they tr- they they didn't they don't go into any depth on this song, but it supposedly all like the backing tracks are on, on one track of the four track tape. Uh, so drums, bass, acoustic, and, uh, George's electric. Uh, John sings on a track. He double tracks on a track and Paul, I think is doing that, that, uh, harmony that he does in spots. And then I think they do, on on the fourth track, they do the overdubbed hand claps. So yeah, there's not as far as that too. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would brilliant simplicity, if you will. Brilliant simplicity, which yeah, seems I to like be the that theme. A <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, this song is released as a single only in the U.S. and it was a num. Uh, that shocked me too, um, because it's included in the Beatles for Sale record and they didn't release it as a single in the UK, of course becomes a number one hit for the Beatles, like 10 days, number one hit. Do you know what the B-side was? I, I, it's funny because I was, I was lying in bed last night trying to think of what it was because I was I like- I would have never guessed it. Right, and I, and I, like I, I default to the English stuff, so I don't think of this right. as a single even though- it, it was, I mean, you know, right. so I think of like, you know, and so I was like, what is the B side? But yeah, it's, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. One of, that's one of our personal favorite songs. Oh man, love that song. <laughs> we need to do that oh. one soon. Yeah, we do. God, that's a good one. Uh, man, Rolling Stone, of course, our, our buddies over at Rolling Stone. <laughs> this one is kind of a shocker for me. Uh, number 35 is Paperback Writer, which I'm sure is going to come up in our deep dive. Number 34, Eight Days a Week. 
Number 33 ahead of uh, Eight Days a Week is I Am the Walrus. They put I Am the Walrus as number 33 on the 100 Greatest Beatles songs. I could not disagree with that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That is the... (laughs) Wow. What are they smoking over there? (laughs) They're clearly not Beatle fans. (laughs) Clearly. All right. So... Instead of a big question on this episode, I want to talk about the Beatles for Sale record. I, I, start, I listened to the whole record um, because I, I think in context you have to figure out why, you know, that's when they talk about why they were so tired or they talk about the, the war-weary Beatles, uh, you know, that's when I looked at that schedule. But right. that whole album, I think almost more than any other record, Jay, is like a, well, first of all, thoughts on Beatles for Sale? Um, you know, I, it's funny today in reading, I was reminded that so many people think it's their worst record, which for me, it's not. No way. I think there's so many, it, it, I mean, I'll follow the sun. I don't want to spoil the party. There's so many cool, like, I I like the deep deep Beatles songs. Yeah. I like the obscure ones on the no reply. I, I mean, I, yeah. So those alone just, I, I, yeah, it's, it's probably top seven for me. It's not like my favorite favorite, but I, I definitely, there's, yeah, I love it. I think this is like a Beatle fan record and I, and I want to, I put it on, on Twitter that it's one of their most underrated albums. That's how I feel about it. Um, And one of the younger listeners, you know, we interact with our fans on Twitter He's like, I, I don't like this record. I don't like it because of the covers. And so this is what I'm going to try to do. I want to talk through this record and, and try to make people appreciate it a little oh, bit okay. more than they might. Cool. Let's go through the track listing. No reply. Uh, We've done that song. Great. Love it. Great, great song. One of my favorite Beatles songs. I'm a loser. Listen to John's vocals on that song. How low he goes. It, it's like a predecessor. That song could definitely be on Rubber Soul. Without a doubt, you know that Ama. He just sounds so great. Babies yeah. in Black, Jay. Oh, I forgot that song, Babies in Black. That's... That song was in their live repertoire after this. They played it all through '65. One of my favorite songs, a waltz, if you will. Rock and roll music, which I'm going to come back to. I'll follow the sun. One of our favorite Beatles songs, Mr. Moonlight, Kansas City, Hey Hey Hey, Eight Days a Week, Words of Love, Honey Don't. Oh, Jay, every little thing. Yeah, I just yeah. Maybe one of the best deep Beatle cuts. I don't want to spoil the party. I'm one that we love. What you're doing. Oh, yeah. If you don't know that. That song would have been any other band's only hit. But it's a deep cut on a Beatles song. And then everybody's trying to be my baby. So as I read these songs, half of them are originals. Half of them are covers. Mm-hmm. But the covers that they choose, I think, are interesting, Jay. Rock and roll music, right? So that's Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. their hero. Okay, Kansas City, not, I mean, maybe Lieber not their Stoller, most well. right? Lieber and Stoller, Stoller song, yeah. One, from their live, this is from Hamburg days. Yeah, yeah. Rock and roll music, Kansas City. These are songs they played in Hamburg, their early live shows. Mr. Moonlight, one of the deepest cuts. I mean, John's vocals on this song for me are unparalleled. Yeah. That intro, Mr. Moonlight. 
freaking amazing. Yeah. Honey, honey, don't. That's Carl Perkins. Right. Right. I mean, their hero, Carl Perkins. Everybody's trying to be my baby. Their hero, Carl Perkins. Maybe one of the best George songs as a Beatle. He tears it up. His guitar solo will blow you away. It's because they've been playing these songs live. They're coming right off the road. Yeah. And, I, and recording these songs. It's like, it's like a snapshot of their live show at this point. And I, I just think as a like historical record, I haven't even talked about they do words of love on this this album, which it's the best Buddy Holly cover you will ever hear. It sounds like a Beatles song. When I was a little kid. I thought Words of Love was a Beatles song. And when I went to see Buddy for the first time, which, as you know, changed my life, I saw it in London, and I was like, shit, I'll go to this show. He did Words of Love. You know, it's just, they are so, even though they're road-weary and beat down, this record just captures that moment. I mean, Sgt. Pepper obviously captures a moment in time, and Abbey Road certainly captures a moment in time. But like as a historical record of their touring days, this is like a live album to me. Please, please me. And this record are just, man, it just ties it up for me. So give it a listen with that open mind. Listen to them sing the songs of their heroes and their original songs. No reply, I'm a loser, babies in black, I'll follow the sun eight days a week. Every little thing, I don't want to spoil the party, what you're doing. Those are killer Beatles songs that they wrote on tour, like in between shows, in hotel rooms. Mm, and it's their first weed album. You know, it's the first time they're not, they're not on speed and it's not, they take a breath somehow and record these great songs. Great, great album cover. Give it a listen, would you? This yeah. is me selling a Beatles record to somebody. But. <laughs> it's, it's one of George Harrison's best guitar records. I mean. No doubt. Other than maybe Abbey Road where he's like a next level guitar player, but it, his like rockabilly style, his country style. Yeah. He yeah. lays back on so many things. Just listen to words of love that It's so cool. Totally. Totally. Cuz I Honey, I mean don't the, Yeah, I'll you know, George gets a lot of I mean, nobody plays to the song like he does or yeah. did. Except except for maybe Ringo as a drummer. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Sure. That's what's great about them. They have the two greatest songwriters of the modern era who are also killer musicians you know they've learned to play together nose to nose in these rooms and they, and George and Ringo are the cherry on top especially on this record listen to the intro of Kansas City yeah. it is so cool and the part that and George it, plays through Kansas City is I like I can't even play it it's it's impossible for me but it's I mean it's completely yeah it, I mean, he just rock and roll. Mu- if you want to hear a John Lennon vocal, man, rock and roll music. Just one of the hardest rocking Beatles songs. Again, great intro. All these songs typically have a beginning and an end because they're playing them live. Oh, yeah. Other than Eight yeah. Days a Week, which is the fa- it's just a hot record. So do yourself a favor, would you? Get a scotch and Coke <laughs> and listen to this one. <laughs> Let's talk about the deep dive, Jay. Start us off. What'd you find? Um, okay, so this doesn't necessarily specifically um, pertain to eight days a week, but I read about the lonely life of a tape op at Abbey Road in 1964. <laughs> Do tell. 
<laughs> the lonely so, life of a tape op. So back in these days, you know, you had you had a rather large four-track machine that you know you recorded your tracks onto, and so um, four-track was kind of a new development for. Uh, for in England, in Abbey Road. And so um, in 64, though, the Beatles were recording the four-track. The four-track machine was not actually in the control room where, you know, George Martin and Jeff Emmerich or Normal Smith were. It was actually in a machine room, which is a glorified closet, um, someplace <laughs> else in Abbey Road. So you have the tape op sitting there, who Jeff Emmerich started as a tape op. Uh, Alan... Alan Parsons. I'll, I'll bring him up every time I can. Please do it. Yes. Alan Parsons Project. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he started as a tape op. Uh, Ken Scott. Yeah, so, so these guys are in this closet um, with a speaker, um, no windows, uh, a tube-operated hot four-track machine, and a microphone and a speaker so they can hear the... They can hear communication from the control room as to, you know, when to go and record, when to hit, you know, whatever. Um, and they can talk back via a microphone, but they can only hear one track at a time from the tape. So they're not even hearing mixes. <laughs> they're just hearing, like, whatever is isolated. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's... <laughs> That's my deep dive. Also, of, oh, Ringo, yeah. Ringo, Ringo, Paul used to credit Ringo for this title, and then he yep, changed had, his tune. I had that in on. there as well. Linda, Linda uh, also confirmed that she, from what she understood, it was a Ringo saying, which would make sense. I found a couple of fun things on here, Jay. Nice. Uh, in working on this song, John was messing with a, with a pattern, if you will. The song mm. is in D, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he was working on a riff throughout this song. Yeah. This was going to be the next Beatles single. Uh, it wasn't going to be on Beatles for Sale. Paul wrote it as a single. Uh, and it, the, the song that they end up, he ends up writing while write, recording this song is I Feel Fine. That breaks my brain a little bit. If you listen to Eight Days a Week and I Feel Fine, they do not sound like they were written at the same time. I Feel Fine, I would no. think, is like a 66 song, like a revolu- uh, re- sorry, a revolver-era yeah. song. It sounds like a revolver-era song. I mean, play that and, and Your Bird Can Sing. They sound like they were written at the same time. But I mean, wow, this is a 1964 tune, released in 65, but they wrote and recorded this one and released it as the single <laughs> instead of Eight Days a Week. Yeah. As we talked about, John in particular did not care for this song. All you need no. to do is look up John in eight days a week. Horrible <laughs> shit. Crap. Hated the song. We all hated the song. Oh, uh, but, um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Nice. Uh, originally, the bird song, Eight Miles High, was going to be called Six Miles High. Because six miles high uh, is closer to the actual uh, flight. What an airplane flies. <laughs> what an airplane <laughs> flies at. But Gene Clark said to um, McGuinn, eight's more poetic. I mean, just listen to eight days a week. I thought that was pretty So cool. there you go. I love that. I saw that as well. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I, the John and Paul rivalry connects back to that I feel fine. I mean, this is kind of a... Paul started song, and I always right. thought of it as a Paul song. I never thought of it as a John song, and then I think that's because they're singing a dual lead on it. I always heard Paul as that's what I kind of hear 
Do you hear that in there? I mean, this is kind of them dual. Totally. A dual yeah. lead vocal song. Uh, but again, <laughs> John writes, I feel fine. Smokes Paul in this one. <laughs> we talked about it. Uh, Beatles never played this song live, which I find really interesting. McCartney started playing it live. This is kind of info you only find on Looking Through the Glass Onion podcast. Uh, the first time any Beatle played this song live was when Paul McCartney did it in Brazil on May 4th, 2013 on his Out There tour, which he played all throughout, which is kind of fun. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I saw him play that one. No big deal, you know. Uh, all right. Let's talk about us playing it live. We play this song. This is a, a constant in our live repertoire. Yeah. It's in, uh, we do it in Yesterday and Today. I do it in, when I'm not even doing Beatles shows. I love this song. Talk about playing it live, bud. Okay, well, first, a uh, couple of things, uh, and I forgot about this, so the hand claps. I was yeah. listening oh, to the hand clap, because I, I have an isolation of this, and I was listening to the hand claps, and in the first bridge, somebody fucks up. They, they, like, <laughs> they go long, like there's an extra clap, and then like just randomly in the middle of the bridge, there's a clap, right? And so then it, made, it reminded me of trying to clap to Here Comes the Sun in the studio. Do you remember that? I, I do remember that. There's, uh, there's footage out there. Yeah. <laughs> Tom taking my hands and putting them together. <laughs> do people realize how hard it is to get four people clapping the same way at the same time? It's not easy. <laughs> right, but that's what's so impressive. Besides those two little, little uh, echoes, like it's amazing. Like they are great hand clappers. <laughs> I'm putting that for the notes. The Beatles are the best hand clappers. I mean, it, it goes with, you know, they're also, it goes with our as live we've talked show, about, yeah. like, intros and outros. They're a great intro band. They're a great outro band. Great hand clappers. But my favorite thing about playing this song live, actually, it's hard for me to play live because of, like, they do a lot of, like, like bluesy things in a non-bluesy sort of way because like they're doing a, a f I'm not going to get nerdy with, with theory but like they'll do a flat third on a major third chord and yeah. like w for a while when I was singing that like it was like my little brain was just like it, it, it was very hard on my little musical <laughs> brain to sing and play this at the same time because I <laughs> it, it's hard for me to sing a flat third when I'm playing a major chord underneath it Anyway, so that was kind of weird. Love My that. favorite thing about playing this song live is when you get the crowd to do the Queen thing. Yeah. And I'll let oh, you expand man. upon that. Well, I was thinking about that. That's my favorite part. I have two favorite parts. I'll get to the hand claps. But on the bridge, <laughs> there were so many years where we didn't have teleprompter and I would have to look at you for the changes. <laughs> and and that's scary because I rarely play them right. <laughs> so we still do that. Anytime we play it, Jay and I are always looking at each other in that part of the song. Um, oh yeah, and there's a lot of like I think I don't know if he's I don't know if the volume pedal has has arrived in in Beetledom yet, but in listening this morning, like through that through that bridge section, George is either like playing his his volume knob or he's got the volume pedal because there's a lot of swells through there which okay. I'd never heard before, and I was like, oh okay, cool, I got something new to <laughs> oh, do. That's I was not prepared for that eventuality. We, uh, I, I'm as I'm doing this, I'm looking at my um, my wall here, and we have the South Bend Tribune Weekend, Jay, from January 9th, two thousand nine. That's nice. when we uh, we we toured there, and that's where the the hand clap started. I don't know if you remember. Was that. it really? Okay, we, cool. Yeah, we we because we had played eight days a week a lot at that point, 
And I was always, I would always try to get the people clapping, and I, they weren't doing it. I don't know what it was with the South Bend crowd. They, <laughs> they took their time and the little things, and I, and I stopped the song in the middle, and I was like, all right, now I'm gonna go hold me, and you guys are gonna go, <laughs> and they were, and they still couldn't do it. And I jumped on a speaker. I don't know if you remember this, and it's like I'm gonna be Freddie Mercury. I'm like all we hear is Radio Gaga, and they all did it, and they all put their hands up, and then we had them all clapping. And so then we started the song over, and I was like, hold me, and they radio gaga it. And that has been a part of our show always since. And I've never had to explain it to an audience again. So if you ever see me with the Rickenbacker, the red Rickenbacker <laughs> around my waist, holding my pick in my, between my, my index and middle finger, <laughs> like this, you see it, you know that look. And I've got my hands out, we're definitely playing eight days a week. Because <laughs> I'm getting them the, hold me. It's so, so great. many great memories of playing this song. This is a song that we played. Our, my last real live show uh, where people weren't socially distanced was March 13th, 2020 on a cruise ship. And we, we put this in because nice. I, I just had to play this song. So it was a part of that repertoire. Anyway, love playing it live. Jay, opening the Waterloo. Still don't have sponsors for this show, but our rate, our, our rate the song is uh, sponsored by Waterloo today. They don't know it, but I'm just telling them they are. <laughs> Thank you, So, Waterloo. Jay, we've looked through the glass onion. We've peeled all the layers back. We faded in. We faded out. We talked hand claps. We talked Rolling Stone. We talked it was a number one hit. We know what the B-side is now, but now it's time to rate it, Jay. We know John hated this song. Beatles probably didn't love it. America loved it. Number one hit. Talk to me. What do you got? Yeah. Um, I love playing the song live. It's... Yeah. It is sort of tricky for me. I always have to remember that even though most of it is in D, there there's a couple of chords that aren't in D. <laughs> uh, and, and it, you know, you'd think by now I'd know that, but no, I don't. I don't. I still have to concentrate. Oh, um, those little major seven chords are hard. <laughs> I'm going to give it a uh, an 8.2. Excellent. Great. Great glass onion rating from you, Jay. I'm going a little lower, um, not because I don't like this song. I just It's not my favorite song on Beatles for Sale. And I do think I Feel Fine would be a much higher rated song, but I do love it. Like getting to see Paul McCartney do it live was really cool. I'm going to give it a 6.3 uh, just because it, it was kind of a throwaway song, but even the Beatles throwaway songs are still in the <laughs> you gotta listen to it range. Right. I think in the context of Beatles for Sale, though, this song is 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 really great. Starts the second side and kind of kicks off the second part of the Beatles' career. Could This song could have been on Help, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's a good one. I'm so glad we got to talk about it. Hey, Jay. Hold me. Love me. Hold me. Love me. I ain't got nothing but love. Here, clap with me, see if we can do it. Let's sing it. <laughs> I ain't got nothing but love. <laughs> hey. We'll see how, how well, yeah, well Zoom so syncs up. I mean, they say you can't record over Zoom. We may just have done Shit, that. Man. We made a little promo video, and we're, we're going to record an album on... No. Excellent. Jay, it's been great talking this song with you. It's your choice, Hello. next song. If you haven't uh, thought of what it is, do you have it off the top of your head? Well, I think we just got a request um, from Perth, Australia for why don't we do it in the road? Let's do Good it. Good eye, Mike! Good eye! <laughs> we're going to put another shrimp on the baby. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a very, sorry. If I offended any Australians, it's okay. You guys have hey, the McGuigan wine. 
You know, I got people out there. Okay. <laughs> I got people in Australia. Listen. All right. I ain't from New York either. All right. I'm not a Beatle either. I'm just going through the repertoire. <laughs> Somebody followed me on Twitter and they're like, shit, I thought I was following Barry McGuigan. It's like, no, I'm not the boxer. I'm just three letters off. Anyway, I'm uh, at Billy McGuigan on, let's see, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Facebook, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Facebook, yeah. you know, yeah. hasn't done so well in America. <laughs> Jay's out there as well. You might have to look a little harder to find him. He's in and out of the social media. But if you totally. have a message for Jay, we'll get it to him. Don't worry. So... <laughs> Thank you so much for listening out there. And do, if you have any opinions on this, just go to my uh, Twitter or Instagram and let me know. And we always talk about it. If you review us in a positive way, we'll put it out there. But as far as I know, nobody dislikes us. So, yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> so, Bob, don't we just do it in the road. All yeah, right. Let's do it next. All right, that sounds good. I'm looking forward to that one. All right, I'm Billy McGuigan. That's Jay Hansen. We're going to slow fade out. <laughs> <laughs>